on this computer. Hello, Julie. Hello, Tony. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to be a guest on University Challenge, the first guest of 2022. Um, so I know you, we've met, but for the listeners today and the listeners to come, could you please tell everyone your name and what job you do today? Okay, so I am Julie. Uh, I run my own business called Julie Genny Coaching. Um, it does what it says on the tin. Um, I'm a mindset coach uh, who works with business women who are running what I call uh, purpose-led or way shower businesses where they have a passion and a purpose behind why they run their business and probably want to change the world. Um, right. And yeah, I, it, it's a question I often ask people, um, do you want to change the world? Or how do you want to change the world? Even? Oh, I like that. How do you want <laughs> to change the world? And generally, every, lots of us do, actually. Um, yeah. In our own little way. Yeah. And it's all about helping people who have got that purpose and that passion that leads them through their business uh, get away from themselves. Um, mostly the things that hold us back are what the outside world calls imposter syndrome. I can't bear the word. Mm. phrase it's too generalized for me but it's the specifics about uh who do I think I am that I can do this uh yeah. uh why is it so hard why is it so difficult why am I getting in my own way why am I tripping over my own feet why is it frustrating uh when I know in my head I can do this but in my heart it just isn't happening so um yeah wow you've probably got an I'm interesting address yeah yeah, but I know there'll be people now going, how do I want to change the world? And I can see you need a coach to help you with that because it's not a conversation that you might have with, I don't know, you know, your partner, your friends, your parents. It's a big, big, hairy question. Yeah, it is, it is isn't it? Um, so that's today. But if we mm -hmm. go back in time a little bit in the spirit of this podcast, what are your memories of secondary school? Great, if I'm honest. Uh, I did two secondary schools. Um, I started off in North Wales from my first year and um, then we moved to Reading when I was 12. Mm -hmm. And uh, I um, struggled actually when we first got here because Reading had uh, 11 plus in those days and uh, uh. I hadn't taken it because Wales was too progressive stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> and um, so uh, there was a big thing about where I go to school and and in Reading in those days lots of the schools were single sex and my mother was absolutely adamant that I went to a mixed secondary school which meant going across town on two separate buses so I did that for four years <laughs> and I um why did your mum want you to go to a mixed sex school? I think have interest. That, have interest. Uh, do you know what? I mean, it's not a question I've ever asked, but I think it was just her perception that mixed schooling was the thing to do. My family were very heavily involved in education, and mum was in an education state education pressure group in those days, and uh, oh. so there was a there was a big thing about education and the kind of being the be all and the end all. Um, yeah, which is kind of interesting the way actually 
it's happened for me and actually for other members of my family it's it's kind of maybe that's part of it I don't know yeah it is interesting so this this conversation is quite uh will be quite revealing in in some ways for me too (laughs) yeah and I read and maybe it's a little aside but we go to Wales on holiday I picked up a couple of books by Welsh authors and one of them spoke about there being campaigns in Wales to do with secondary schooling in the 70s and 80s maybe yeah 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 big it was a big deal um right I yeah I uh, I I can't remember what the stuff was but I yeah I remember my mum um doing mock-ups of magazines and doing the cutting and pasting and all that in the before the days before computers and stuff uh every month um case the campaign for the advancement of state education that's Ah. it Right now, now I've got some a little rabbit hole to go down after this. Um, okay, so your mum was doing that, and your dad was also in education. No, not at all. Um, he had been. Um, uh, we moved to Wales because he went to university as a mature student, and we went ah. with him. You know, okay. as a family, um, moved out of London. Um, okay. So yeah, blimey, <laughs> you'd already gone from London to Wales to Reading. Yeah, and you're only yeah, twelve. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. And so I'm trying to fit into a secondary school where yeah. uh, my accent is described as posh. Yeah. Which is a bit weird. Um, and I go two buses across town, so I don't live locally to anybody else. Yeah. Uh, I make friends with someone who is actually now a really dear friend still uh, on the bus, and she comes Aww. from Tilehurst. I come from East Reading, and we both head to North Reading to go to school both because right. of our parents being absolutely adamant that they wanted us in a mixed secondary school. Right. Wow. And what were you, um, what exams would you have studied for then at that point in time? Uh, it would have been O-levels. So that's a, uh, I don't know, it depends who listens to this. The, the equivalent of GCSEs as they are now, but they were called yeah. ordinary levels. Uh, O-levels. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, some of them were quite old fashioned. Um, in those days, uh, maths was taught uh, without calculators. They were just yeah. beginning to come in and there was no such thing as um, multiple choice. That was incredibly controversial in maths, I remember. Yeah. Um, we did Oxford Board, which was apparently one of the toughest. And it was all about understanding what the question was asking you. Yeah. And I now understand why I found it such a challenge because it turns out that I'm probably dyslexic so and comprehension is one of the things I was challenged by so it's like oh yeah that now makes sense makes ah sense. and how did you get on in your O-levels um not bad considering I think I got three B's a C and a GCSE grade one which was supposed to be the equivalent and failed the others um I had some uh family traumatic event which meant that I completely went off the rails um and so uh actually five O levels was not a bad shout um I did a lot of retaking and I switched schools afterwards um for sixth form um fairly disastrously because it meant I did two terms and then I dropped out um because it just what wasn't happening at that time in my life it was just uh, education wasn't important um how did you feel 
sixth form was different to school or was or was it uh it was incredibly social I met okay. some brilliant people um firstly I went to a more local secondary school uh with a sixth form and uh I met some like-minded people um which was great and um we were allowed to dress as we wanted and mm. none of that uniform lark um and yeah. none of that dressing for business as lots of schools now do at sixth form you know suits yeah and, which I which, think is really odd or really odd indeed um dressing for business, businesses that don't exist yes exactly exactly uh even the banks don't have uniforms anymore you know a lot of the banks don't have uniforms anymore um no. so yeah that that was all very weird um mm. but I yeah I became um uh, sixth form was good yeah we had some great uh I, the thing I remember most was the um you know the filler lessons that you got in sixth form which were not to a qualification but about uh stretching your mind and stuff and we had a, a head teacher who was a, a politician himself and liked to talk politics so we had a politics session and he and I used to clash quite a lot and yeah. it was great fun um yeah. I became uh I don't know what do they call them chair of the sixth form committee oh, cool. um, and had to do a speech but would quite like to have introduced the um, NUS into the um, sixth form mm. and the school and in those days you could as a sixth form apply to be affiliated to the NUS and he basically said that if you do that I will take the sixth form common room away from you <laughs> oh like, you I'm would be popular having... <laughs> yeah, exactly it's like oh okay then that's not going to go down well is it no. But yeah no I, I had quite a lot of fun in some ways at sixth form but I was out of my debt academically completely um the guys that I joined to do A-level maths had already done an AO a year before and the streets ahead of me. And I was just like, I made some poor choices, I think. Okay. So um, you left sixth form early. Yeah. I did and, two terms. Okay. And went to do what? Uh, I went into catering. Uh, I worked in a pub kitchen. Yeah. I worked as a waitress. Uh, and then I yeah switched a few different places and um, ended up um, working for something called uh, Pizza Land International in those days, owned by United Biscuits. How about that? And uh, it was before the pe- it was before Pizza Express started expanding out of London, and uh, yeah. our only rival was Pizza Hut, and we were more yeah. kind of European, but not quite Italian. And Pizza okay. Hut was definitely American. Okay. Um, this is Pizza Land International. Yes, pizza Land <laughs> International, as it was called in those days. I don't know where the international bit came in, but um, I love it. I was there for a I was there for a number of years and did. Mm. Uh, actually, it's where I got my first coaching qualification. Actually, one to one coaching with the Hotel Catering and Industry Training Board. I still have the certificate. <laughs> ah, well, and you know, it's funny because I've kept. I did an MVQ level two in freight management and I kept that. I mean, oh, we keep these yeah. little things, don't we? Um, so who were you coaching then to get that coaching qualification? Um, mostly uh, waiting and kitchen staff uh, on specifics uh, about how to do things. Um, it was, I guess it's workplace coaching, which I think is very different from the sort of coaching I'm doing now. But it's all about people development and helping them mm. achieve what they want to achieve in whatever roles they're doing aren't they you know it's it's fundamentally it's not changed um it was 
more skills based I guess skills and skills and attitude based you know so that you're helping customers have the best experience ever which is what the catering industry is all about yeah well yeah um although not at one pub I went to not so long ago where we waited 90 minutes for our dinner um <laughs> yeah we still um, get those things at least it doesn't it happens to yeah. all doesn't it so um one thing I'm curious about is was university expected in any way for you oh yeah Oh mm. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was a disappointment to my grandparents hugely, <laughs> and I and I, I've only really understood this yeah. much later in life, actually, because um, technically none of my mother's generation went to uni. Right, they went to be dancers. They went to central. My mother went to central school of speech and drama. Wow, affectionately known, affectionately known as Screech and Stammer. Right. Um, <laughs> uh my uncle went to art school um you know so none of them did university and actually my grandfather went to polytechnic he went to regent street poly to learn to be an architect because in those days architecture was a a trade that you did at a polytechnic university was something you did that was kind of academic yeah okay and so nobody in our family had done it and I think there was an expectation that I would. I was the oldest grandchild. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, there's all sorts of curious double standards. Um, I don't think I I don't think my dad ever expected it of me. Um, I only found out, I don't know, about 20 years ago that um, he did the three year course and then never sat the finals. <laughs> Oh no! Okay, I just think it's bizarre. But anyway, wow. it's a whole nother, whole nother story. Yeah. Um, so your grandparents, yeah, I think had university a, had a bohemians. They had a group of, they had bohemian children. You, yes, if they did. your mum went to Central School of Drama, I mean that is that's impressive. People didn't just, you know, you didn't just yeah, get a place her, there, did you? Uh, I don't know actually. I don't, really don't know. She ended up going into teaching, and she used to teach in a secondary modern school in northeast uh, London uh, Dagenham or lots of the lots of the kids that she taught ended up working at Ford Dagenham and places Um, but yeah I don't know whether she did the teaching thing at Central or Mm. after it I'm not entirely sure okay Uh, so you didn't go to uni went out to nope. work mm-hmm. but but rapidly got your first professional qualification while you were there how do you go from pizza land international <laughs> to helping uh way showers that want to change the world how do you get from there to, to there hmm it's a very squiggly path, you know, but they talk yeah. about uh, millennials having a, a squiggly career path. Mm. Do you know what? Lots of us have had squiggly career paths for a lifetime. You know, it's mm. not always been uh, kind of straightforward. And I I think I always felt that there was something wrong with me because I didn't have this clear, I want to be a policeman, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a doctor, mm. or I didn't have this clear idea of what I wanted to be. Um, and so I kind of muddled on through. Mm. um from one thing to another and so I left catering uh and joined banking 
things. Mm. <laughs> Without I, a maths A level. Oh my God. Gosh, yeah, exactly. Um, did sort of customer service type roles and a few specialist roles and then got into the training and development arm uh, up in London. Ah, okay. So there's of, a uh, training yeah. and development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so um, I was with group training um, when it was in the most fascinating time. Uh, it was expanding. At one point, I was one of 60 consultants uh, learning and development consultants and we were working across uh, the banking network of our bank um, we were designing we were evaluating we were um, oh god uh, my specialist area was computer-based training so I was writing computer-based training in the days when we had floppy disks yeah <laughs> we would send the floppy disks down to allocated branches for people to study this little right. bit of training um, and then just before I left, well, I was doing sort of uh, projects that were um, simulations of IT systems, doing all sorts of translation from IT language to language that bank managers would understand because it's their first experience of using computers. Um, and I loved it. I, you know, uh, I wasn't that keen on the commute and it became more and more difficult as the there were a couple of accidents on the uh, Paddington line, which just meant that all of a sudden it went from an hour and a quarter to two and a half hours each way, um, wow. which was a bit grim. Mm. Uh, but I absolutely loved what I was doing there. Mm. In some ways, I still think fondly of it as some of my some of my best and most exciting work in the corporate world, which um, I'm not sure all of us can say that. No, no. I mean, lots of people become disillusioned with it and then leave. Um, so you went from, you know, one very different industry to another. Was there ever any question about um, your qualifications or, you know, why you didn't have a university degree or not? Uh. No, I don't think so. I think uh, latterly uh, in the bank, uh, mm. when I was doing L&D, there was a question about, you know, would I be go on and do a master's? And it was like, yeah, but I don't even have a degree. <laughs> I've been doing professional <laughs> qualifications while I was there. You know, so yeah. I've done my CIPD uh, certificate in training ah. practice. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd done that. And so, mm. but it was that kind of thing as well, when are you going to go off and do your master's? Uh, I actually don't have a degree. Um, okay. So that was kind of interesting. Um, the bank, I remember going in at the bottom grade because I didn't have A levels. Okay. Uh, you could only go in on the management development if you had a levels even though I was quite clearly bright enough but yeah um I'd failed I'd gone back to college at some point um for a year and I'd failed miserably with three of them and got an e in in the politics okay (laughs) that wasn't enough to qualify for a um a management trainee place okay but they did Um, fund your professional development Uh, yeah Uh, when I was in L&D there were courses and opportunities for professional development all the time um was constantly doing stuff um even Mm. if it was internal not externally 
accredited. Um, mm. I became an IIP. Do you remember that? Um, Investors in people. 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 Yeah. I became an IIV um, accredited person for our yeah. department as well. So I did all that. Um, yeah, yeah, I just was fascinated about helping people develop themselves. Yeah. Um, mostly it was you know on a professional level but actually you know I was beginning to get curious about you know how do we develop ourselves personally as well um and how long were you at the bank for oh I think it was 12 years in total okay okay um yeah I think so why did you leave where did you go (laughs) oh well there's the story you see that's what that's what happened so um 1999 um I'm aging myself a bit here there was a whole um kind of imploding of the the bank banking sector and we were um ripe for being taken over and um Bank of Scotland came in and said well we'll make an offer um and uh, the bank suddenly turned around and went oh you you know you can't manage yourself You're, you're too top heavy and so the bank rapidly sort of suddenly turned around and went, uh, well, we'll just get rid of a whole lot of head office staff. Right. And, um, and we all sat there and went, oh, right. OK, thank you. Mm. Thanks for telling us about this stock exchange. Here's before we do. OK. Right. Um, oh. And we were offered this amazing redundancy package. Mm. And lots of us just sat there and went, holy moly why would we not go with yeah. this on offer and I remember a two-hour conversation with my line manager about why I should stay and okay. um I decided to go and then two days later discovered he was going too <laughs> and so oh. were countless other people they hemorrhaged a massive amount of people I you know one of my colleagues right was able to work for a year for an organization without pay um a a third sector you know not for profit um yeah to give his time and expertise Uh, that's how generous most of us you know most people came out who had had bank mortgages without them Um, i've just got this vision (laughs) if your manager saying oh you you really should stay in the back of their mind they're like how quickly can i pack my briefcase and go (laughs) yeah no he's a nice guy um, yeah but yeah he was looking for the organization as he rightly should do but again he yeah. was in a, a great situation and you know saying all sorts of things about my career and actually as it turned out uh mm. bank of scotland did not buy us out royal bank of scotland came in and bought us out and right. uh those people who elected to stay had a pretty rough ride after that actually right. uh it was fairly grim um but at the time, I had mm. just started a part-time degree uh-huh. at the In... University of Reading. Um, right. Well, actually, not actually. I hadn't just started. I've been doing it for a few years while mm. I was at the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing a part-time degree in English literature. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, I don't know. Maybe I need to take a step back. Uh, I while I was working at the bank I kind of felt a bit like my brain wasn't been working enough this was before Mm. I got the job in London and so I did um I did an A-level English at night school um over nine months and um absolutely loved it just adored it and came out with a B I was like 
okay well that's interesting yeah. <laughs> considering yeah. I got an O grade the last time I tried to do this yeah. um kind of 10 years on and um and I just thought oh well maybe I should do something else and I I think I was working in the securities department and I was thinking oh okay maybe I'll go and do a law degree or something you know maybe mm. maybe that would be sensible get me a better job and blah 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 and I just sat there and went but I don't want to do law why do I want to do law why do I yeah, it just doesn't interest me enough and yeah. I just thought actually what interests me was the English you know mm. the studying of literature and yeah. I found out that Reading ran these part-time degree courses over a number of years in the evenings and yeah. thought I'd give it a go. And what was the um, entry requirements to do? To do uh, they're completely flexible in the right. sense that when you do a part-time degree, because you're paying for it, because mm. in those days people didn't pay for their degrees, you're paying for it and... Mm. Um, they just need to make sure that you're academically able enough to cope with it. Mm. Um, and I got, so I got in with my one grade B A-level. Yeah, um, great. And the first year you do, you have to do an additional subject for a year or yeah. for the first two terms. And um, I had a choice of philosophy or classical studies and I couldn't decide. My dad mm. had done philosophy as a degree so there was part of a kind of slight pull there but actually mm. the classical studies I suddenly realized were all about the the myths that my dad had read us when we were kids you know all oh, those wow. stories and I just thought yeah. oh that sounds like brilliant fun yeah. and it turned out to be and in fact my I ended up switching my degree so it wasn't just English literature it was English literature with classical studies and I studied it all the way through and absolutely yeah. loved it Wow. Um, so you, you've left banking, take the redundancy, you're still doing your degree. Mm-hmm. What happened then? Did you take a break to solely focus on study or did you find another job? Well, let's just say I study? compressed rather a lot of things in a rather short space of time. <laughs> so um, uh, I took redundancy uh, beginning of 2000 I got mm-hmm. a very nice um what do they call it relocation package so right. they give you all this uh recruitment to help you find another job and yeah. uh, so I did all that and mm-hmm. I did do quite a bit of job searching but I was still focusing on my degree and got to go uh, last bit um uh full-time mm-hmm. so I joined the full-timers which was a bit of an eye-opener because they were so bright boy were they bright they might have been 15 years younger than me but oh my gosh they really (laughs) did have a lot to show me Um, yeah and they were also incredibly disciplined actually that was that was the thing that was really Mm. noticeable um I guess that thing was being straight out of school but just Mm. really focused and um that year I uh I got married and uh so I was doing full-time study I got married yeah. and then I got pregnant and yeah. I had a baby uh, just before I graduated <laughs> wow. I cannot recommend it is really not worth doing um finals papers when you've got a, when you are breastfeeding your yeah. three month old and need to just about can just about manage a three hour yeah um exam breastfeed before breastfeed afterwards it was yeah it was just a bit too much so yeah I could you did it much in a lot yeah I did and 
they kindly disregarded um, one section of my degree, which was um, uh, women's writing and feminist theory. <laughs> okay. Um, apparently my submissions were so atrocious. <laughs> oh. really weren't worth reading. And one of the tutors <laughs> said to me, uh, she was a professor, she said, look, don't worry about it. She said, um, your focus, you know, mentally is supposed to be about being a mother. Feminist oh. theory and motherhood don't necessarily go together, and that's absolutely okay. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> wow. I was like, okay, all right, I'll take that then. Okay. And, do you um, yes. do you agree with her looking back on it now? Do you uh, agree? Yeah, I think yeah, I think so, because your whole mind and body are so enmeshed in producing this thing. Um, I would say it like that because it does. I wasn't a natural mum and it feels like you've got some kind of parasite, frankly, <laughs> when you've got, it's eating your brain, it's eating your body. It's just, yeah, it's, um, yeah, your heart, you, you know, you're, you're producing something a bit special. Mm. And so if you, if your mind and body are focused on that, it's really hard mm. to focus on anything else. I don't know how anybody else does it, but I found it a real challenge. I hated pregnancy, really did not enjoy it at all. No, but hey, well, and I guess we're conditioned to believe and something that a friend said to me after she'd had her baby and she said, I, I, I'm supposed to feel amazingly fulfilled and I don't. But I think that is the conditioning that you must blooming and enjoy every moment and that is your intended purpose and so your soul division that isn't actually what it's like because everyone's individual we each have our own experience don't yeah. we um yeah and <laughs> I used to try not to think about it too much that there was a living thing inside me, inside but, me it's um, like, ah! yeah <laughs> I wasn't uh, much better afterwards either I have to say. Um, there's but, a living you know. thing outside of me um <laughs> yeah and it needs me and it wants me to do everything for it and I've got to give up everything I do just for this really oh. Oh. um so yeah um okay. how soon did you go back to what so you've graduated you've got your degree yeah you've got your bit of paper you've got your baby a husband then what because you've done all that um, in, you know, so I've done all together. that in a very yeah in a very short space of time and so then I thought I'd try and get a job mm -hmm. and um the university were great at supporting me trying to help me find employers who were um let's say a bit more enlightened about one mature students and mature students with babies right. and um yeah, I had I, I had an assessment with one organisation, uh, but they decided not to recruit that year. I think they decided that we weren't up to scratch. Right. Um, but um, I ended up being at home as a stay-at-home mum for three years, uh, okay. which is not what I had anticipated. Not that the degree was necessarily going to give me a job, and I didn't want, mm. you know... Um, various people said to me oh you should go and teach English in a secondary school mm. so I went to a few secondary schools and spent time there and just went oh my god no why mm. would I really yeah. why would I uh, the stuff I love doing with English is talking about it and mm. talking about ideas and actually that's not even at sixth form level that's not what it's about it's about passing the exam and mm. you know I 
I asked some questions and, and I got questions back. Was, so how does that fit into what they're going to ask me for in the exam? And I just thought, no, okay, I'm not, I don't want to be part of that. That's not, that's not where I want to be. And so yeah. the, getting the degree was, was never about improving my employability. It was always about doing it for the love of the subject and yeah. some of my most favorite memories are seminars and I just bloody loved them they were yeah. great you, you'd go in having prepped a bit that you were going to talk about and mm. you just listen to other people's ideas and you just go oh my gosh that fits with <gasps> this idea I've got and oh, I can yeah. see how that links now and it's and I just loved all that absolutely mm. adored it um and I would do it again. And actually, I've just been, you know, I've just moved house and I found my my classics books and uh, I've given away all my English books to a charity shop, but I couldn't get rid of the classics ones. And I feel that there is more study le yet le left in me uh -huh. at some point. Uh, so where, where did you go after being a stay-at-home mum? What happened? Um, what so I, got, I, I, I really struggled to get work really really struggled to get work and uh I worked I went back into catering I my favorite job being a waitress and um I did that uh weekend evenings because my husband could look after my son uh our son and uh I could work and it's only after I'd done that for 14 months that I was able to then get uh, a job and I worked in a small business um uh consulting CSR business, um, corporate social responsibility, working yeah. with FTSE 250s. And I was yeah. running the office, doing the accounts, doing okay. uh, yeah. some mar learning about marketing. Um, yeah. I now see it as perfect preparation for running my own business, actually. Yeah. Um, although yeah. I think I'm better at running somebody else's than my own. But yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then what did I do after that? Oh, um, I got a job at uh the university um the doing university administration that you studied yeah, that at, I, at the university yes. of reading wow yes. okay right um I, and yeah. i worked in again a fascinating department um i worked in what was called the walker institute for climate system research ah, yeah. uh, where all the guys were doing girls were doing amazing research into mm. uh climate effects and um yeah supporting them although it was there was it was administration but actually it's supporting them and trying to find money from somewhere yeah. in order to allow them to do more of what they did um yeah I realized was a really important purpose for me um so I stayed there for quite a long time yeah and it was then that um that I found sort of during that time again it was that kind of slight itch I need my brain to work a bit more than it is at the moment um mm. and that's when I started getting into neuro-linguistic programming and training mm -hmm. yeah. um and realizing that actually I wanted to coach people um initially I had this idea that I would make loads of money and pay off my mortgage <laughs> until I went on the training and then I realized actually I don't really care about those sorts of people that I was originally going to target and um yeah. realized that actually it was more about parents juggling work life uh, okay. all that kind of stuff and that was my first real uh group of clients although I did have to do quite a lot of work because initially the people I would love to have coached mm. would never pay for it 
and so I couldn't okay. make a living out of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. there is always that, sad. isn't there? <laughs> yeah, they've got to have the income. They've got they've got to yeah. want to pay for it. So, um, um, and do you think there's a connection there between? So you've got your love of language and love of English and love of ideas, and do you think that influenced the type of coaching that you pursued? Yeah, I do actually. I do um, because lots of the stuff that I've learned in NLP is about language and the use of language and how language can influence behaviour and how um, behaviour influences the language you use and actually then that you know the, the kind of whole interplay. So neuro, your your brain, your thinking, linguistic, the the language and the programming, how you can use that to change how you think and behave um I think some of the simplest examples are things like um the use of the word but if I say to you it's a sunny day but I've got to work all afternoon Mm. what do you hear well it's 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 negative isn't it it's um because I've heard you must only use you must only use and so Yeah, because, the, work, because when you hear that as a sentence, you hear the bit that comes after the but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're waiting great... for the but, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. but, bad news coming. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. if you switch it to an and, it's really then difficult to be negative about it. So yeah. actually what happens, it's a really sunny day outside and I'm going to take the morning off in order to be able to to. So, you know, I'm going to work hard this yeah. morning so that I can take the afternoon off or, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. When you do it in a group scenario and you go round, it's really interesting how you notice um, the change and how, yeah. how a simple, simple word changes how you think about things. Um, yeah. And we all imbue, you know, there are so many words where we imbue different experiences of our lives and uh, understanding so when you say the word love what does that mean to me people you know that again it's another really simple exercise to do with groups you know you say to people um okay I'd like you to write down the first five things that come into your head when you say the word love Mm. then I'd like you to go into groups and, and compare and contrast mm. and it's amazing what happens so if you get some people saying valentines you some gets romance you get mm. sex you get uh kindness you get empathy you get compassion there's this mm. whole massive context of what does love mean what is love anyway you know mm. um and I find that absolutely fascinating and yeah I guess that's a lot of what I do with individual clients is helping them understand where some of their stuff comes from and yeah. whether some of that makes sense for them. You know, really, does it make sense? Because actually, if it's stopping them being loving or because actually they feel it's this, this and this, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah and and um, we've uh, I was thinking about how we might use language at home so our our classic example is um our son doesn't like to be told it's time for bed I mean he's a teenager he doesn't want to be told it's time for bed so instead of saying it's time for bed we say come and say goodnight to the dogs because that's a nice thing for him he's like I'm gonna go and see the dogs it's not a you are going to bed going to bed yeah (laughs) but it was a very um particular on my part I thought we've got to remove it from 
or change it from being an instruction about we're telling you what to do to we're inviting you to do something that you enjoy <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah it diffused yeah, it it's too, it's not late enough it became a yeah right then <laughs> okay say good night to the dogs I like that one <laughs> I think that's inventive but I really do <laughs> <laughs> manipulative I don't know <laughs> possibly um, possibly with yeah. a sort of positive slant and I think that's the mm. thing about being a parent isn't it you negotiate what works mm. in your household and what what um I don't know I I, I think um the whole thing of parenting is a real challenge. And, um, you know, I, I say to my son, who's now nearly 21, um, you know, I love you dearly. And sometimes I really don't like you. And you yeah. probably don't like me. And that's okay. I'm not yeah. going to take that personally, because, you know, I know that at your age, what you're trying to do is, uh, you know, become independent. And part of that independence is leaving your parents behind and your mother in particular you know that's a, mm. that's a boy thing you have to leave your mother behind you definitely mm. do yeah um, unless you want to be uh, a big so, man baby <laughs> that can't yeah, do anything well, for themselves <laughs> um, am i allowed to say that am i allowed to say that i don't know. i don't know i think well yeah probably yeah. not generally well, general generalisms are uh, yeah it, it's a it's a challenging one isn't it because it, it generalisms aren't always true no and it's no. always best to be specific um but yeah we live in a land where general generalisms are uh kind of the norm aren't they like all men are all yeah men and are. and and I guess um uh, what I will say not should um is it is that thing of becoming an adult and becoming independent and standing on your own two feet so I completely get that. And it's a challenge to yeah. do that. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll admit as a woman in my 50s, mm. am I completely independent? No. Mm. You know, um, and I think sometimes I think at this point in our lives, we realise actually how much importance our parents have for us mm. as well, you know, uh, and watching them get older and frailer. And sometimes, you know, and get to the point where, you know, where they do die and you do realise that, oh, my gosh, now I really am independent because I don't have them to, even if you don't mm. feel like you fall back on them, you fall back on them, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, well, I think it's that's been the weird thing for me past couple of years. I said, I don't have any parents. And it's there was a moment of going, I don't have any parents. That's odd. Like It feels yes. odd. It's always like you you know you've moved up a level in the family tree you're like oh right it's empty up there okay yeah, now yeah, I have to be a grown up yeah now I have to be yeah. an actual grown up um I feel like we're digressing well I'm 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 pulling you away from the thread <laughs> you okay. were coaching parents yes who, I was yeah okay and you doing NLP um, which sounds a little bit different to the clients that you're working with today. So has there been a shift? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, truth be told, I think the, the pandemic, but also probably mm. a shift in me and my personal perspective, because I'm not, I'm not a full on parent anymore myself. And I think mm, quite yeah. often, if, 
if you talk to coaches quite mm. often they specialize in areas that they are familiar with themselves or right. things that they have been through or are passionate about themselves um things that matter to them um yeah uh, it was a bit like when I stopped volunteering at a toddler group because I just felt like actually I'm suddenly becoming this older mum telling telling yeah. young mums how to be and that just didn't feel comfortable and it's like no they need they need more people of their own peer group of their own age group to help them and support yeah. them not not a bunch of grey-haired ladies saying oh you really ought to go to church and you really ought to do this <laughs> do you know what I mean it just felt yeah it felt wrong on so many levels um, yeah but that makes so sense doing it yeah and so I think that I think that's I think that's where my coaching naturally progressed and post the first lockdown my first clients were not in that parent space and I was just like yeah. okay this is really interesting what's the yeah. what's the similarity what's the what, what what are the what are the things that bind these people together and and the thing that I came towards is yes they they run their own businesses organizations mm. whatever but actually they are have a dream and they've always mm. had this dream and they are close to you know they feel like they're at that point in their lives where actually do you know what? enough is enough I'm not I'm not paying around anymore I want to do yeah. this and I know how to do it I know you know from my life experience I've got the pl plans I know where to get the money from I know how who to get the support from all that kind of technical stuff is all there yeah it's just hang on a minute who am I mm. <laughs> what makes me think I can do this uh yeah. it's those yeah, like I said earlier, I, I don't like the phrase imposter syndrome because it's too general, but it's the mm. specific things about yourself that bring you those feelings of self-doubt, those feelings of who am I to think I can change the world? Well, actually, yes, you can. I think yeah. we're taught in a very big sense that we are too small and that we mm. can't affect change as one small person. And that's just not true. There are so many examples of one person doing something and creating a movement or an idea or, a, or whatever um, and changing a bit of the world. Yeah. Know, time and I, a place. Yeah. And I guess I saw a woman, well, it was via LinkedIn, she received her MBE because she came up with, during maybe first lockdown, it was something like walk 5K donate five pounds nominate five people something like that but okay from, yeah yeah from one idea I think she raised 15 million pounds for the NHS I probably wow. got the figures wrong but it was I think exactly as you say it's kind of that was something created by one person or if you think about you know what um, Captain Tom did this is individuals doing things in that sphere but same goes for someone that has a business idea or someone who yeah wants to put themselves out there in the world and inspire change because we all want to leave our mark don't we oh um yes and and that that's a, yeah that's an interesting one isn't it that whole legacy piece what mm. what does that mean and mm. um we had a we did an interesting um uh exercise that we learned as part of my master prac uh, nlp master practitioner and um mm. it's called timeline therapy it's more of a therapeutic thing and 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 you're asked where your timeline is because everybody's timeline is different 
and I just kind of went it's there (laughs) okay what does that mean so what's behind you oh the past but the future is there and for me I've realized it's not about me personally it's Mm. about the impact that I can make with other people and the impact that they then make on other people so the people that Mm. I coach the impact that they then have on the people that surround them so when it was parents it was their their children their nearest and dearest and now with these businesses it's 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 more about you know the people that they're then affecting and I I do I still have this kind of proud parent moment when I'm watching some of those people um, that I've coached creating massive change in other people's lives and I just I think that's magical I just I love that um Mm. it um yeah I could get quite emotional about it's not about me I don't need them to say oh I was coached by Julie Genie I don't need that I just go to be having a positive impact elsewhere and that's what inspires me all those people inspire me Um, what advice would you give to people that are maybe because there's so much you've kind of done in your personal career arc and will do I guess um oh what well what has served you well throughout so you said you you know didn't do um as perhaps was expected at school and then actually you went on to earn your degree after you'd already started a career and you know graduated when you had your baby and then created this business and practice that is true to you what's kind of been your guiding principles throughout that's a challenging one um I don't think I knew it at the time um because I think uh when I discovered NLP what I discovered Mm. was that actually I had been since uh the kind of traumatic um stuff in my family when I was a teenager I had been carrying that around for the better part of 20 30 years and uh limiting my life and the tagline that I used when I first started coaching and I I probably don't say it enough is about talking to people about um it's important that we um we're living lives that we love where we're doing more of what we love and less of what we don't Mm. and I think that's probably still my guiding principle to what I do and what I would encourage other people to do which is you have to find some part of your life where you're loving it because if you're not it's pretty pretty challenging yeah um you know it's important to find something that you love in your life and if you're not for god's sake do something different I mean particularly with the kind of work thing is because work is such a massive part of our lives uh and it takes up you know hours but also years and if you're not Mm. doing stuff that you love frankly what the hell are you doing you know really life's precious I don't you know lots of people say life is short Mm. I wouldn't say life is short life is precious time is precious people are precious yeah if you're not loving what you're doing what the heck are you doing Mm. (laughs) because it's not about getting to a destination it's not about you know life isn't this kind of linear thing oh well I've got here and I'm done do you know what I mean it's like it's the living of it right here and now every single day and you know I've started putting on a on my pad of paper at the beginning of the week when I'm doing my planning is it's like so how can I love how can I live a life I love even more this week 
you know okay yeah. well I've looked at the weather forecast there's two good days right and getting out on my bike two days this week you know yeah and I really like that I think there is something in it because you know when we're having to work to pay the bills or maybe you know we don't have as much choice or control as we want there are areas where if I think about things that I've always done that I've loved regardless of income or situation I've always done something creative and artistic whether it was you know drawing in felt tip on blank sheets of paper or creating a podcast so it took me quite a long time to figure that out (laughs) and go yeah and I think truth be told truth be told I think that that's happens to lots of us we have these epiphanies in our midlife and it's like what have I been doing and I think part of that is the the whole especially if you get into being a parent yeah it's pretty relentless it's the day-to-day you have to do you have to get up you have to feed them you have to send them to school you have to feed them you have to put them to bed you you know and you're and you're earning money to pay the mortgage to keep the roof over your head and the food on your table but aside from that you have to find something that you love and my most successful clients have been the ones who have something that they always fall back on whatever it is whether it's yoga martial arts playing musical instruments you know um and Mm. and it's lovely when you see with some of them I probably only see some of what's going on in their life on social media but I know with some Mm. of them when I'm seeing them saying oh god that was a great musical you know that was a great orchestra session that we had you know da, 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 da. Mm. and I think yeah I know you got a lot out of that I know that life's pretty good if you're doing that kind of stuff and you're and you're shouting about it because I know that that matters to you and so you're doing what matters to you and that's really really important yeah um, and and how can people find you then I mean I will put your you know uh, uh <laughs> socials in the show notes um what's the best place for people to find you uh probably linkedin um uh is probably where i am at most these days um and um probably at the end of an email or the end of the phone um i'm always happy to have um i've never liked the conversation uh, the the word discovery calls um somebody (laughs) gave me a a, a thing the other day and actually i really like this curiosity call i'm going to start calling it the curiosity call yeah Um, so if you're curious about yourself or curious about what change might mean or mindset thinking might mean um yeah um email is hello at juliegenny.co.uk phone number or should i just leave you to put that i'll I'll put that on the show notes so if people are curious and want to say hello then they can say hello to you there um that's been great, Julie. I was, I, and thank, thank you. you for, you know, I know I could have pulled you into a, ooh, I'm going to have a little mini coaching session here. Um, but I've just <laughs> loved, loved talking to you. Thank you very much. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Um, uh, I always find being asked questions about why you did things and the route you did them, I always find that completely fascinating because you never seem to answer, nobody ever seems to answer the, the same question the same do you know what I mean it it, it always comes out differently and so that is fascinating oh why did I say that Hmm, that's curious (laughs) 